Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. This week's Acquirers podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Validia. Validia runs quantitative stock selection models using factor-based strategies from 22 published books and academic research papers with long-term track records of success. Validia has combed through books about historically successful investors such as Warren Buffett, Ben Graham, and Peter Lynch, and academic research papers that contain unique investment strategies and uses them to run model portfolios it has tracked since 2003. You may recognize Validia since two of its founders, Jack Forehand and Justin Carboneau, both good friends of mine, have appeared as guests on the podcast. Through the end of February, Validia is offering 33% off an annual subscription to both its standard and professional product to listeners of the Acquirers podcast. To find out more about Validia, or to take a free trial, you can go to validia.com forward slash Toby. Again, that's V-A-L-I-D-E-A dot com forward slash Toby. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Hello, folks. It is Value After Hours. It's uh, 10.30 a.m. on the West Coast uh 1:30 p.m. east coast it turns out it's 6:30 p.m. utc 6:30 a.m. australian eastern standard time how are you fellas living the dream <laughs> i'm fantastic does it feel like the markets are a little bit quiet at the moment is that just me i think it's just you it does seem like there's actually a fair amount a little bit more dispersion in price movements, at least the stuff that I kind of keep an eye on. Like, I don't know, maybe a little bit bigger moves than than the last few years. I don't not like anything going in one direction particularly, but but maybe a little bit bigger moves. Very anecdotal. Looks like the the ten year keeps on creeping up. It was it was coming up on one point three percent, which is you know lower than where it was twelve months ago, but. More than double where it was at the bottom last year. It's up a lot. Is that good or bad? I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think that there's a there's one argument that higher interest rates are better for value, and so when the ten year kind of creeps up a bit, value looks a little bit perkier. Mm. I like perky. Yeah, but I don't know. Like Cliff Asness, like the, that that. That article that his colleagues wrote, they couldn't find any relationship between the two. So I don't know if that's a, I don't know if it's meaningful or not. Kind of watching it though, it's it, it does seem to be creeping up a lot, at a sort of uh, at an accelerating rate, whatever that means. Does that mean uh, refinance your house now if you can? Yeah, lock in those low low rates. I don't know. <laughs> We were about to get negative, right? So don't do that. I was waiting for negative. (laughs) What are we talking about today, gents? There's a lot going on. I just said it was quiet. Now I'm saying there's a lot going on. Well, you need to market the podcast. You can't say, hey, everybody should just uh, go away. Slow news Makes no sense. Yeah. Looks like uh, energy might be sort of slowly rotating back into uh, prime time. 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm gonna be. Talk- I think I'm gonna talk about morality and investing. That's what I think mm. I'm gonna talk about. That's what I've been thinking about a little bit. You should be able to just like sneak that. that one into a quick 15 minute <laughs> segment. <laughs> nah, it's not that tough. Yeah, five minutes. Uh, I have for veggies, uh, given that it's uh, February and Black History Month, I have a little uh, thing prepared on Henrietta Lacks, which I don't know if you guys know who that is, but it'll be a fun conversation, maybe. That sounds good. Um, I don't know her. You I'm will. Gonna, I'm going to be talking about uh, a few things. So there's there's a little energy crisis going on in, or a little heating crisis going on in Texas. Um so I m- mentioned that to Jake, and he sent me through this huge document on uh, <laughs> on energy, Sorry. which I've read. So now I'm a, now I'm a tourist, but um, I don't really know. I don't really know what I think about it. But there's uh, there's a reasonable case, I think, to be made for uh, getting long some energy assets, and probably from like a year ago. But we'll, we'll, oh, we'll God, see. You just lost like all. <laughs> Ten of the listeners. We're down to three. Oh, well, let's let's do this one last, just so Shout we can out back out before 10. we get What's there. up to the ten? It's been a long time since we've given them a shout out. The Baker's dozen. Mm-hmm. The OG ten, which is basically Ian Castle and Nine Bots. <laughs> Who wants to take well, it away? Going? Let's let's get I'll let's go, get JT. Uh, exhilarating podcast. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first because actually, I'm, mine. Uh, the end of mine will dovetail in with Bill's, so this will be good. It's like we planned it, even though there was perfect zero planning. Maybe a surprise. Yeah, there was a lot, a lot of. <laughs> All right, so uh, 1951, this uh, black woman, mother of five, uh, named Henrietta Lacks, visits John Hopkins Hospital, and at that time. Johns Hopkins was one of the only places that would uh, do kind of pro bono work for under, you know, under moneyed (laughs) population. Um, She presents with vaginal bleeding and turns out she has a large malignant tumor on her cervix. And they take some samples of her cells and uh, take them to the laboratory. And at that time, there wasn't you didn't really have to consent. To that at all they just kind of took yourselves and did whatever they wanted with them for, in a scientific purpose and there were there were doctors there working at the time who were trying to figure cells out really um, and like how do they work and typically up until that point all the cells that they would take would die within you know a day or two and this this woman had something kind of magical about her cells in that they doubled every 24 hours, 20 to 24 hours. And they were just like this, this incredibly uh, fertile, fecund, uh, like sampling. And so they ended up taking it and like culturing her cells and they, uh, they're now called HeLa cells, H-E-L-A, to be for Henrietta Lacks, the first two letters of oh. her, her name. And so all HeLa cells came from this you know, woman from 1951, and they've used them to study. Like, it was a launch pad for cellular research. So 1952, they developed the polio vaccine using her cells. 1954, uh, the first cells were cloned were her cells. Uh, 1960, they went up in a Soviet satellite. 1984, they used to study HIV. 1989, the telomeres... Uh, was discovered using her cells. 
1993, they studied uh, tuberculosis using her cells. And like 2005, like nanotechnology is, is used uh, these, using these HeLa cells. So there's like 11,000 patents that are based on technologies and, and uh, medical research that is, you know, really pivots off of the HeLa cell. And incredibly, like her family didn't know anything about it until like much, much later because they just took these cells, like you didn't need consent, never financially uh, compensated for, yeah, for taking these cells. And it's like kind of ends up into a weird bioethics kind of question about like if they just scrape cells off of you, are those still yours? Are they your property? Or is that the Mm. property of science or the state? Or like, how's that work? Um, There have been different court cases that have, have tried to make rulings on that. Anyway, 2017, uh, Oprah actually did a movie about Henrietta Lacks, um, and <clears throat> and actually she played her daughter who was trying to like uh, get some recognition for the fact, like this huge scientific contribution that this this poor black woman made to to science and was kind of never really talked about. So to get into the tortured analogy part of this that everyone is so fond of, um, you know. I think you, you stu- we studied her cells because they were such an outlier, right? Like all the other cells that they took from people ended up dying. And I think, you know, looking at that kind of DNA, um, you know, it, it doesn't mean that you can replicate it. And just like if you injected it into somebody, it doesn't mean that like those, pe- those cells then would take over. Like the body would amount some kind of defense against it. I think the similar thing can kind of be said about corporate culture. And so, like, we, we look at these corporate cultures that we are incredibly fertile and have these very, very rare properties to them. And then we think that, oh, well, just, like, let's just inject the, you know, the slide deck from that company into this company, and now we're going to have a whole new culture. And I think it's, like, very misguided. I think, actually, culture is, in, is very, very hard to change. Um, guys care to chime in there before i keep going i do uh i'm not sure that that's underappreciated by the market because a lot of the companies that have a really good culture trade at a premium and i argue for a good reason or do they trade at a premium because their returns are good and we after the fact say that's because they've got a good culture i know you're saying it's double counting i'm wondering asking no he's wondering well i think one's an output of the other i mean i don't i don't think that like, I mean, Bircher is not endowed with good returns. That's actually a pretty hard business to run, right? I mean, insurance underwriting is nothing that's inherently great. And then using the float to then recycle that capital into other businesses. I would say that's a pretty C's candy. Look, you take C- value, bro. Yeah, yeah but dude, shit. that's just one. But I you mean, take C's candy. candy. So C's candy you buy for $27 million. By like 2011, it's thrown out, thrown off $1 billion, which even if you were sticking that back into like the, the spy, you look pretty yeah. smart. I agree that there are some good businesses out there that are so good that anyone can run them. But like even Coke was destroyed through bad capital allocation at one point. I, I just I, I don't think um, I don't think that you can decouple a business from the culture and, and people running it. I think it's really hard. So where do you guys where do you guys look for assessing corporate culture? Well, I'm going to give you the 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 answer is I look at I look in the financial statements. Okay, I want to see a particular part of it. That's well, you know, I want to see what they're earning. 
uh, on their assets, uh, how conservatively they're geared, uh, look in the proxy, see how they see how they're incentivizing themselves, see what they do when the stock gets cheap, do they buy it back, see how they spend their stock, what's the attitude of management to uh, to the shareholders? Are they uh, trying to concentrate intrinsic value further in the in the, in each share, or are they um, you know doing something else? Is it like a like a uh, General Electric type situation where you know they're managing Empire to a quarter, building. yeah, and the return on equities falling away all the time, just over leveraging? That kind of tells you just about everything you need to know, I think. And I think sometimes when you listen to what management says, you know they don't get to those positions unless they're pretty charismatic. They're very very persuasive. I've never really met one who I haven't liked. I don't think. Yeah, I think that there's some argument to be made there. Um, yeah, I mean, the the one that I'm looking at right now, that's I, I'm looking at the proxy statements. Uh, I like that they're heavily incentivized by stock. I like that they're not uh, getting paid through options. I like that they don't get stock. They basically have a negligible salary. Like, that stuff I like. Uh, I prefer to look at where the money is and the incentives are than like some of the other stuff. But, you know, I do I do read a lot of earnings calls and I do uh try to decode how people think about things. I mean, like Transdime, I, I whenever somebody's pulled in front of the government, I like to watch what they say and do. Uh I feel like that's sort of a unique position. Um unfortunately, the government blows it sometimes like with big tech, but um it, when it's not like a political stunt and it's just actually like truly digging into what the business is and how people think about that. I like that. Like AB and Bev, I sort of like the antitrust stuff. I thought that there were some clues there. So I don't know. It's kind of a mosaic, but I would say where how they're paid is number one. Great answers, both of you. You get both get gold stars for today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you're you're exactly right. Like I think the the incentives, especially in the the definitive proxy 14A, um, is tells you so much like you know if you have a if you have a ceo of a, like especially like an insurance or a bank or something where if they are compensated on revenue expect to have stupid underwriting right like um andy grove the ceo former ceo of intel talked in high output management which is a great read by the way if you ever get a chance um he talked about how every single indicator is what he called them but that's basically like incentive comp structure um Every indicator has to have a counter indicator, like a countermeasure, because none of them can exist on their own and be unalloyed good. There's always some negative way that it can be taken. And it's you have a to have a balancing. Yeah, exactly. There's a trade off that you have to recognize by having a countermeasure. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think we've talked about this. I would say, too, like the, the board of directors, uh, if, if it is a. You have a board that has, you know, they're paying them $200,000 a year, and that is like a material amount of income and lifestyle for that board member. Don't expect them to push back on anything, right? Like that's, they're basically indentured servants at that point. Um, and then I would, the last thing we've talked about this a little bit before, the, I liked, and this is a very, very broad generalization, but in general, I think about, Anything above gross margin talks about business quality and below gross margin in the income statement. 
is gets at a little bit more management quality. Um, and that's, these are obviously there's management has influence over the entire income statement, but in general, you know, if you, if you want to be known as a good business person, get into a good business like that argument. Um, and then on the other side of that, like, you know, sort of a three G mentality of, uh, costs are like fingernails and have to they always need to be looked to be trimmed. Right. <laughs> uh, they always want to keep growing. So anyway, I thought you were going to say uh, you need to rip them out. Something like that. Yeah. No, totally. Come on. Trimmed is much better. Family friendly. So anyway, I think, uh, looking for the DNA, um, and not expecting extreme outlier DNA in all of the businesses that you're looking at, uh, or that they can pull some kind of like culture miracle out of the hat. If they're a kind of a regular cell, regular DNA, um, that's, maybe something we can learn from Henrietta Lacks in that, that uh, scientific situation. Is there any way that someone like a Buffett can come in and change the corporate culture by uh, emphasizing you know, incentives and trying to change that direction? Buffett, Buffett's like the last guy to ever yeah. want to do that. I mean, look, like Transdime, I think that's what they do, right? They, they take over companies that are under optimized by their standards and they come in and they optimize them. Uh, I think, I think that a lot of the serial acquirers sort of implement cultural changes. I think yeah. it'd be hard not to. So, I mean, there's obviously a level of decentralization also, but I, I think there's gotta be some cultural implementation. It's hard, man. When, when I was at the bank, we took over, uh, M and I, we were, we were BMO Harris and we took over M and I, man, what a pain in the ass that was. It, it, I bet it. I bet it's not going on now. But like, I bet it was still going on two years ago. I mean, it took. I bet it took five years to get that those organizations going, sort of swimming in the same stream. You know, and I'm sure somebody in a model said, "Oh, two years, we'll have all the synergies done, and yeah. everything will be great." Right? <laughs> to pee associate. Two years, you don't even have the systems tied up yet, especially in a bank. What a pain! Oof, you, you, I can only imagine. What about when Buffett comes into Geico? comes back to Geico. I I mean I don't I don't know. I don't know what he actually did like there. Right? I, I think some of the activist stuff he sort of made people cut some fat. Buffalo News, I think he gave people sort of like the leeway to be them and said like, you know, we're gonna go win this. I'm sure every situation's different. But now that he focuses on businesses that are running well, I don't know that that's really what you need to do, right? You just need to preserve the incentive system more than anything. I bet Which he I tunes think is up really the incentive hard. systems a little bit. Because, I mean, he talks about, yeah. I would love to see the, the entire Berkshire incentive system book across all the different companies and what he picks for each, like what metrics he uses to incentivize all of his CEOs. That would be endlessly fascinating. Unfortunately, I've never seen much about that. He's talked a little bit here and there, but never in details. Talks about charging them an appropriate... Yeah, well, that's what I was I thinking. It's a little bit of a state secret, but he talks about charging the different businesses get different rates on the... Like they have different hurdle rates, right? So that's not one size fits all. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to argue that he didn't at least turn around the perception of the culture at Solomon Brothers, right? So, I I don't, I'm sure some of that was true. I can't all just be like perception and a bunch of people got fired. So, you know, 
hard to decouple the marketing myth from reality, but I suspect he's done a lot in his day. Uh, I've got one of the, one of the one of our readers, one of our listeners, pointed out that uh, thanks P pointed out that uh, uh, he's bought the Japanese trading houses that he's bought uh, are all natural gas trading enterprise. They have big natural gas trading uh, enterprises, and in addition to Dominion Energy, so he's he's got this big natural gas bet on at the moment, which. Uh, natural. So this is slightly my topic, but the natural gas has kind of rocketed over the last, you know, short period of time here. But also since like since Q3 last year, it's taken off. Well, I think it was at its highest ever. It's on a tiny little demand spike, like three and a half percent. Did he get in there just because he saw that was cheap? Is that one of the reasons why he's gone after those Japanese trading houses? Are they slowly fixing their Sort of, they've had you know terrible returns on equity for a long time, but is that all slowly being fixed? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think it's um, a lot of those are very heavy industry as well, with big uh, fixed costs that may or may not do well with inflation. So I don't know if that's a little bit of the the bet there. Um, I don't know. I mean, Japan in general has been has been cheap off and on for the last thirty years. Um, Would probably have, more on. <laughs> when did that. you say that natric? <laughs> when did you say that natural gas has been rallying since? Uh, last year. This uh, the the article that Jake sent me through was like Q three twenty twenty, and I, I think I think they had it at it was like all time highs at Q three twenty twenty. No, I don't. It can't be all time highs. I mean, it no. It was at like. Eight ten dollars a MMCF like. I mean, I'm looking at a. I'm looking at the front month commodity contract now, and in 2016, it looks like it was three dollars and thirty six cents per whatever unit this is quoted in, Uh, and now it's at three oh seven. I mean, for a while, I don't know, with all the fracking and stuff, there was just so much damn gas coming out of the yeah. ground that they just couldn't get the price up. So now that some of that fracking has sort of gotten shut off, I think that the the price can sort of go up. But I don't know what I'm talking about. I do know that I see a head and shoulders, though. Shout out to the Chartists. <laughs> Bull flag. I got yeah, no looks, idea. Yeah, actually, yeah, dude, it looks like it's a head and shoulders that turned into a bull flag and a breakout. Whew, that is some sexy looking stuff. You can't miss. You're gonna rip. You want to pull back to support here, though, folks. Mm. Healthy pullbacks. Anyway. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Some consolidation. I, I have no idea about natural gas at all. I I think that what he saw in the old Dominion stuff is I don't. I think that the uh, shout out to uh, Brad, one of our listeners. Um, like there just is not much appetite, I think, to put into um, pipeline assets anymore. So I think that uh, he probably saw roughly a 10% yield on what is probably a pretty stable asset and isn't going to require a whole lot of cash uh, maintenance capex. You've probably got some amortization tax benefit, put it in the energy company and get some more tax advantages out of that. And I think the the math worked, and he doesn't think that there's huge risk of uh, new capital flooding the industry, is how I would assess it. But I don't know what the hell that guy's thinking. He's a savant on me. Huge amounts of capital flowing into the industry, not not right now. No, I said there aren't. Huge yeah, that's amounts, what I, right? that's what I mean. I'm agreeing. Yeah. yeah, 
I think especially if ESG continues, like, are they are we building another pipeline in our lifetimes? I don't know. Shout out to MMP and EPD. (laughs) Maybe. Do you want to take it away, Bill? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could. It it can all go into morality, right? But uh, you know, I sort of tweeted out about um, Altria, and I'm not like pumping the stock. I. Like, I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I look at that entity, and as a security, I just think it's cheap. Um, you know, if I had a nice cup, Jake, I was at that summit. Um, yeah, what up? Um, the uh, I, I guess, like, for me, I, I'm just looking at it from a financial standpoint. And I guess that, you know, like... If I took a complete donut on that and could remove cigarettes from society, that would be a fine trade. And like I could sell that thing tomorrow and not care. This is not some security that I care about or some product that I feel you know beholden to. Uh, in fact, I'd like to lose money on it because that outcome would be better for society. But like I don't really know where you draw the line on this kind of thing. And I think it's really easy for me to say cigarettes. I I've gone through this before on this podcast. One, my mom has smoked her whole life. I have hated cigarettes my, my whole life. Uh, I mean, I have tried to get her to stop smoking. I will probably lose her to lung cancer. So there's a part of me that says like, fuck it. I'm going to make some money on this stuff. Cause it's ta- it's cost me enough as it is. The other side is like, somebody came into the chat today and he's like, I wouldn't buy pot stocks. Guess what? I like pot a lot. And I think it's better for people than alcohol. And I think it does really interesting things for me. It helps me be present. Some of that's because I've got a mic on a book that says taking charge of adult ADD. <laughs> so, like, I might be, like, self-medicating a little bit. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't think pot is what some people may. Um, and then you get to booze. And, like, I've seen booze destroy more lives around me than anything and you know some of the greatest investors in the world are out there heralded and they own Diageo and they own like all this other stuff that's that are great businesses right Jim uh, Jack Daniels is a great brand Russo talks about it all the time like wild turkey killed my grandfather i mean he killed himself with it but like that dude was drunk all the time so i just don't know how you like you know the guy that got up and said like how can berkshire own coke I mean, sugar is some pretty bad shit. I don't know where you want to draw the lines. And I guess there's a part of me that's like, how can you even make this argument? Because it's so clear that that cigarettes are not a good thing for society. The other part is kind of like, well, if you take that to like its logical conclusion, let's assume everybody just avoided it and the the price was like a dollar a share. The one guy that went in and bought the security would be super rich. Like, I don't want that outcome either. Tobacco so I, don't, I just, yeah, like I just don't know, right? Where what is social media done to politics, right? Like, where do you draw this this line? I, I really don't have the answer, um, and I'm more having the conversation to think about it out loud rather than say like I know the answer. I really, honestly, don't know the answer. Are there any businesses that are just unalloyed good? I don't know. Like here here's one that I thought of. Um let's say that uh what's the fucking um OnlyFans. Let's say OnlyFans goes public. Right? I mean, 
I guarantee you, so, like whoever buys that, that SPAC, if they have some warrants, those warrants are going to be worth a lot. Like that business is worth a lot. I mean, I don't know. Does somebody that's ESG say, hey, these these people are now in charge of their own porn careers? Or does somebody that's looking about it say, no, porn is inherently bad? Like, I don't know. Do we have any businesses, any takers on that <laughs> that are just pure? Yeah, that's hard, isn't no, it? I mean, no obviously, Berkshire is. T Tesla, Tesla, naturally. <laughs> Tesla, yeah. There's the children that are mining the materials somewhere don't count because you can't see them. Disney? I, di yeah, I don't know how Disney. Disney... How does Disney sneak through there? No way. Disney's gross. Dude, I'll tell you what's gross. You walk around Disney that's, World that's and you mean. cannot... Gross. Yeah, you can't tell me that it doesn't promote obesity or something. Those buffets what are about, nasty. about, like, gender, gender conformity? I mean, there's... All kinds of they're tr yeah they're trying to do you, gotta, you have to be a princess they're trying they're I trying where different I'm things at with it personally where i'm at with it is i will not put private market like if somebody's trying to raise funds and i'm not for the business i will not participate in giving a business capital some of these more mature businesses like i just think you're sort of buying a piece of paper and a cash flow stream i think about it in terms of in, framed me on this like what i think about it in terms of invincibility so what is going to encourage people to attack you doing things that harm people is going to encourage people to attack you and smoking yeah. companies certainly have been attacked along that avenue by two different parties in the past they've been successfully attacked by governments and they've been successfully attacked by individuals who've been injured you can't it would be hard to make the argument now that you don't know that you're being injured and I think that governments are getting so much tax revenue out there, heavily incentivized to continue that. So you may have solved those two constituencies. You might have found a way to live with them. And so it's not, uh, it's not a, it, you're not going to be attacked anymore. But in the, in the world as it is at the moment, with people sort of being cancelled for a lot less, you've got to think that that's a pretty... It's a it's an out there kind of thing to be literally handing out the cancer sticks to people. You, you think that they're not going to take another run at them? Well, yeah. Well, they hear. Go ahead, Bill. No, I was going to say like Buffett is in the past. Uh, I, I'm not going to shout this out because I don't think the person wants attribution. If they want it, I'll give it to them later. But like Buffett in the past has said, like we'll own a cigarette distributor. We don't want to own the cigarette place, right? Buffett own, has owned Walmart. Walmart sells a ton of cigarettes. Like, I don't know. Where's the distinction? I have no idea. Well, the where cigarettes could personal, go away. Where does personal choice and responsibility fit into this conversation? It fits in in the know, 1980s. About owning okay. That's where I keep going. That's, it's gone away now. Or is it the 1880s or the 1780s? So the, or... the thing is, the difference between Walmart and the cigarette makers is that Walmart can stop selling the cigarettes and it's going to be okay. Cigarette makers stop selling cigarettes. I don't know. It's tougher. I don't know how they get out of that. You got to, you got to make the argument that you can sell the patches or sell some other but form. But here, I'll go. I'll go all law school with you. So they could choose to not sell them, and everything would be okay. So why do they choose to sell them? Why choose to willingly harm society if it's the answer is because you want profit? I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that whether they, I'm not. Saying I'm, I'm not talking about the choice that they're currently making as being good or bad. I'm saying that if cigarettes, yeah. if they're prevented from selling them, the business is still going to be okay. 
Yeah. Whereas if cigarette companies well, but, prevent her from selling that they're gone. They're gone away. Yeah, so then you lose your money, but then society's better off. It's not a big position for me. It's just like a small bond slug replacement. I blame the Fed. But then booze companies have got to be mm. like next cab off the rank. <laughs> you, right? you like that? You like how I did that? Yeah. <laughs> it's I wouldn't have to wrong. own. If cigarettes go away, like booze companies go next run. Cause that did, Is that I, ever going to happen? In that, in that stream, in that little t- Twitter exchange that you had, didn't the person, somebody said like some tiny percentage of people buy like half of all alcohol, right? Consume half oh, yeah. of all alcohol. T- it's it the follows top a- decile, dude. The average is like seventy-two drinks a week, of the top decile, and then the ninth decile, I think, is fifteen drinks a week, and then, like, a, a surprising amount of people to me don't even drink, but I don't <laughs> tend to interact with them. But, but for <laughs> alcohol, this podcast wouldn't exist, right? We don't get drunk together. I'm not here right now. That's true. Yeah. Mm. I'm not. So I'm not. I don't know. You know, I'm a laissez-faire kind of human being. I'm not. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to think about the impact on the portfolio. Like I'm trying to be, like, wh- where does the attack come from? That's what makes me nervous. I'm. I'm more thinking about it, like, uh, just from a morality standpoint. I mean, the portfolio risk I kind of get, but it's tiny. I could care. I really could care less if it goes to zero. I mean, the it, problem it doesn't with- matter. Couldn't. I always say could care less, but like that doesn't make sense. It's couldn't care less. The the problem with all ESG is that we all have different definitions of what what's important. There'll be people who'll say that climate change is the uh, is the single most important cause that we need to deal with right now, and then there'll be other people who say, well, if you make energy too expensive, the knock on effects to the people who are the people who are hurt worst are the poorest, and not just in this country, in other countries around the world. So you have a very delicate trade off when you're dealing with those problems. And so that's that's what makes ESG so complicated. I mean, I'll tell you for me, like where, like my integrity, my line is, like I'm considering interviewing a guy that has a small cap company. I had tracker positions in that company. I sold everything. Because I was like, I don't even want to fuck with disclosure. I don't want to act like I could be pumping something, like not at small numbers like it's just not what i want to get involved in so to like in that instance i think i'm actually controlling an outcome to a certain extent and if there's any perception that i'm controlling an outcome i don't want to have anything to do with it and i will avoid it but when it's a 40 billion dollar market cap or or not 40 i'm sorry it's a uh, 70 x bud or what am i thinking i don't know my math's off anyway it's gonna be uh, tough when you have buffett on the business brew what are you going to do Dude, with your the buff Berkshire? dog could run. I so well. This leads to something else that I want to say because I'm not great with numbers off the top of my head at all. I do know the dividend yield, but I, I don't know what the market cap is off the top of my head. Yeah, the 80, dividend yield is nine percent. Yeah, well, X Bud, right? So Bud's almost a ten billion dollar stake. So yeah, it's an eighty billion dollar company. I apologize for sounding stupid. Anyway, can you push this uh, conversation even further to? I feel like there are some people who they just buy companies that they like. They like the product. They like whatever it is. And that's like the number one sort of controlling part of the equation for them. It's not about like, you know, is this a, am I being compensated for taking this bet? Uh, And that's actually probably done better than anybody who's actually thought about like, well, what's my risk and reward? 
no, I just love this product. And that's, I'm just going to buy it because I love this product. Any I mean, risk what you, calculation. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, any risk calculation has been a waste of time. But that, it doesn't sound like um, Peter Lynch. Like, the, the, like, what's the difference between saying, I like this company, I'm going to go buy this stock, and then you turn around and you find support for it in Peter Lynch? He says, yeah, do that. Find the thing you like and buy it. I think he says do some yeah. valuation, but he's not. That's passe. It's been a waste of time. Yeah. Where we're going, we don't need valuation. <laughs> well, um, I guess that I think I think that is some of the Montley Fools, like what they preach. I I think you could do that if you don't do it in a concentrated portfolio out of the gate, and you dollar cost average over time, and you're willing to underperform potentially. But you know, I don't know. I really don't. I don't. I don't have a great answer for any of this stuff. It's just something that I've been kicking around. And since I'm so vocal against Robin Hood, somebody posed the question to me, and I thought that that was a fair question to ask. That's a good question. Yeah. You know, what's the difference? So, if you go down that line. It should be like, where, do you, where can you sleep at night? That's the. Yeah, I guess that where I draw the distinction is one is sort of couching itself as helping the poor and giving to the rich by its name. And it's like, so clearly not one is like a wolf in sheep's clothing. And one, you know, is a wolf. And I guess that that's like at the end of the day, what I think I draw the distinction, but I, that could be motivated reasoning. I'm really not sure. You respect that they're telling the truth about how evil they are rather than disguising how evil they are. Well, yeah. Cause the game, like there's no pretense to the game, right? It's like, this is what it is. And I sort of, I don't, there's always going to be evil in the world. So let's just call it evil and move on. I've got, uh, I got a question up on the board. So what is, is, uh, is Altria worse than Facebook? Well, this is something that I said today to Postmarket. I said, cause, cause they came on and they were like, you know, I think like sugary drinks could potentially be, you know, a, a lot closer cousin to tobacco than than you want, right? And I think that they said, like, it, I'm trying to be somewhat inflammatory, so Costco distributes a bunch of sugary drinks, so isn't that, like, I, I don't remember their exact tweet, but that's what I said. I said, if you really want to be inflammatory, look at what social media has done to political views and how the polls are huge and the middle is completely eroded. Is that good for society? I'd argue that's a whole lot more harmful than cigarettes at this point if if that causation is really true yeah I think we it's have, hard uh, to argue it's not a contributing factor we have political diabetes right now <laughs> yes idiocracy is truly only a couple of steps away vsg points out that cigarette companies are low-fat and vegan <laughs> i don't want to make a joke of it but i do appreciate that joke i mean so, so can i say can I say something unrelated, but it is, it's somewhat similar. And like, I kind of view this audience as my home. So I think that I got to say it like here. As long uh, as it's inflammatory, then yes. No, it's not, man. <laughs> uh, and, and I, I, I did Jim O'Shaughnessy's podcast and he asked me something about like, what's next. And I had cited my returns and I somewhat misspoke and, um, I, I just sort of like want to get the record clear because I don't know how they're going to edit it and I, I don't have any problem with them or anything like that. I just sort of want to get out in front of this. So like I had posted on the internet that I'd, I've done 19% for my three year and 20% for my five year. Last year was 38% in that account. The other account was up like 56. I don't know if I'm a schmuck that got lucky 
I'm not trying to stunt on anyone with returns. I know a lot of people. PA. No, no. These are like the real accounts. Um, the slut, the slutty account. She, I don't know what the, that that account had a volatile year, but I put like forty five percent of it into curate, so it ended up pretty okay. Yeah. Um, I just, I just uh, want to be honest about like how little our confidence I have right now that what I did is repeatable, and I don't want it to be like one of these promoters, and I'm not trying to talk returns after a good year it just happened to coincide with sort of my account blowing up and me getting a little bit more recognition for things that are somewhat in and somewhat out of my control and i'm just not trying to be one of these fucking people that i hate so i wanted to say that to everybody as i demonstrated with my knowledge of quoting altria's market cap i'm not exactly the best with numbers off the top of my head so anyway it's my my little come clean Should we hit the Q&As? Yeah, hit us with some questions. Um, we've got about 20 minutes to go. Sorry. No, 20 minutes is good. We normally get there a little bit late, but... Uh, Colin Moore says dental disease is the biggest disease in the world. Huh. So maybe Coke and the other purveyors of uh, sugary water, they're in trouble. Yeah, it's tough. Like when they asked Buffett about that, I kind of was like, "Oh, this is a stupid question." I, I understand why somebody asked it. You know, Wayne Hire ladies wants you to show the world your abs, Bill. No, you don't want to see that. It's very fat. <laughs> you don't want to. I I showed it. I put a finger in my belly button and put it on Twitter. It's a disgusting, <laughs> disgusting sight. Uh, someone someone just asked me if I'm losing faith in value. No, no, not losing faith in value. Have I given that impression? I'm sorry, no. I'm doubling down to the extent that I can. Last man standing. If it comes to Here's that, a question. Here's a question for you guys. What if all the inflation fears are just like completely wrong? In 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 the sense that what 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 are the inflation fears? That inflation's coming? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at Bitcoin and you look at all the commodities ripping and all that, like I had a conversation um, with this dude, Nafal Sanala, this weekend, and he's pretty far left. I mean, he admits it and he's advised AOC and stuff like that. So he's, I mean, he's on the left, right? But he had me um, really wondering how much of this is like a short-term supply shock versus in the middle of like structural deflation, versus not and i know this is macro and if you'd spend a minute on it it's a minute too much but i just sort of wonder if this is like one big fake out by the market because i feel like a lot of people are expecting inflation now obviously healthcare, education all the stuff that matters has been inflated but he would argue those are supply constricted we've had a little bit of both haven't we We've had some supply destruction because of COVID and all the shutdowns, and we've had a whole lot of money printed and tipped out. And if you have less of one thing and denominated in more of the other thing, sometimes that winds up as inflation. Sometimes I guess they just don't count it, so it, it doesn't. And if they don't count it, it doesn't happen. No, well, I guess I guess the answer would be if it's because of COVID and your shortage is COVID-related, right? Like lumber tripling in Q3. Um 
that should have a natural like lumber is something that you should be able to bring supply on right so it should fix itself there's also the money so printing side yeah if enough of the velocity picks up but so far it's all just gone into the pockets of the rich for the most part so i don't know that that results in inflation right you need velocity investor blogs bought a uh, bought an ad on how so he goes five largest positions are they undervalued you can click through it and see see him talking about it i just i'm just kind of impressed by the fact that someone did an it ad? yeah Wait, just to, just to stick get that money in. from this 10 pound 10 10 pounds that's sick. If it ever Thank breaks you. even. I'm not going to lie. I'd rather hear your best idea, but I do appreciate the ad, you in wanna, my opinion. You want to talk about CSU? It seems, like, it seems interesting. They're suspending the dividend. They're going to invest outside software. Uh, well, they said that they're... Not outside uh, of software, but outside of that small VMS. Okay. I, I slightly misunderstood that. Yeah. I don't know. Like Everyone seems to like this idea and think it's like a this pivot is a big deal and good for them. I'm not so sure like that what they were doing was working really well. And I think they've kind of run up against, I don't know, like a supply of, of acquirees. I'm, if, I don't know if that's right or not. Cause I don't really keep track of that market, but certainly probably the prices have had, had to have gone up that they've paid. Right. And now, now he's talking about having to participate in auctions for these bigger VMS. And I'm like, uh, Last time I checked, that's not really where you get great deals uh, in an auction format. I don't know. I'm not as – it doesn't seem as, like, great news to me. I don't know. So I think it's fair to say we're not the most educated on this name. Uh, what I would say is when I said that uh, tweet about, you know, if Mark Leonard wants better shareholders, he can do things like his podcast, the – comment that i think was uh the best back to me is he's not optimizing for external shareholders he's optimizing for employees and given how candid he was on that podcast how candid i think he is in his letters even though i have said they're not my favorite they're great letters um and when i have dialed into the annual meeting that i dialed into i wish i didn't miss one of them um I think this guy, he, he's thinking this is the way to maximize value, right? And in that letter, what I heard him say is, I used to be opposed to this, and I think that I was wrong. And now that I'm wrong, we're going to lean in heavily to this strategy. And I think if you believe in Mark Leonard, then you want to see him chase the highest return for his capital. And I don't think dividending it out to shareholders with equities at peak valuations relative to history makes the most sense if you think that you can do something better with it. I, I think it was a phenomenal letter. Any growing branded home goods furnishing companies running with low leverage coming out with good products and buying back shares <laughs> other than uh, restoration hardware looking for other ways to play home wellness? That's hilarious. That's a funny question. Restoration oddly, hardware doesn't oddly have low specific. leverage. There might be one. If you know one, send it to me. I think there's an interesting one, but I'm I'm going to be buying it, so I'll talk about it in about a month. There you go. How does value investing perform in stagflation? That's a good question. Why are Why are we going to stag? 
Like, what's what's the underlying thought of no growth? I mean, housing is ripping everywhere. If you believe that high housing prices will stimulate home building, housing is like one of the highest multiplier effect sectors out there. And there's a lot of incentive to build. And there's a huge backlog. I think the economy is going to be fine after this. I don't know what's going to happen to the dollar. And I don't know what's going to happen to sort of the U.S. over the long term or whatever. That The spending makes me nervous. But the actual economy, I think, is pretty primed. Savings rates are through the roof. People are itching to get out. I don't know. I think people are waiting for a shoe to drop that may not drop. I think that... It feels like it should. Isn't the inflation argument just that we're not positioned at all for inflation? That if you get any kind of inflation, then that has this uh, violent reordering of what, what, where everything is in the market. So we were talking. Was this? Be, were we talking about this before we came on? But the, I, I, you know, what, what do you do if you get inflation? And I, the old Buffett answer is you want you want to buy the companies that have the highest return on invested capital because they're the ones that can reinvest in the business and actually kind of outpace. The, the the growing cost of running the business so on a, in real terms they can actually grow but JT you had a different perspective on that uh, well I don't I'm not sure I agree with your characterization actually of what <laughs> I reject Buffett the premise said. of the question <laughs> yeah uh, well no I mean I'm I'm probably due for a reread of of uh, how inflation swindles the equity investor from I was talking about one of his letters from 1977. It's a 79 letter when he says uh, he talks about trying to outpace gold, isn't it? He does say something, I think, in the 1980 letter uh, about from 1964 to 1979, Berkshire did like 20% book value growth, something like that, and was quite pleased. Like they outperformed the broad market pretty handily. Uh, But he could have purchased, uh, I think one share of Berkshire purchased a half an ounce of gold in 1964 and one share of Berkshire purchased a half an ounce of gold in 1979. Huh. So interesting. Yeah. I think that was what he talked about. And so he's not, he said like, save your padding on the back of us, uh, because we couldn't, we basically were flat with gold. So you just pick the thing that's performed the best. And if you're flat with that, then you haven't done anything. Well, he holds himself to a higher standard, yeah, evidently, than, than good, average. Good for him. But what, what, were you, what were your thoughts? You didn't think that you didn't think that you you don't like my characteriz- my characterization of what Buffett said it might be the most offensive thing that anybody's ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> Them fighting words. Uh, no, Jake had said earlier. He said that he thought that some of the or well, Jake, talk about Napier's argument, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I think it has to do with high fixed costs. And if you are in a business that has high fixed costs and doesn't have to replace those assets with, with new assets, new capital, then your returns on invested capital can explode. Right. And we traditionally think of high ROIC businesses as capital light, um, can't really absorb more capital generally, right? Otherwise, you you run into some laws of large numbers that don't make sense. Um, so if but if you're if the components of what creates that return on capital have to be reinvested continually, uh, even if earning those high returns on capital, the costs may push up just as much. And 
if you have the fixed cost that is not moving up, your the total return then can can look quite a bit. And it, I think they saw this in the '70s where companies with really high fixed costs they showed blowout earnings because and granted this is all nominal by the way like this is something to keep tra- it's important is that really there's more losers than winners in this this inflation world and it's not not generally good for equities um so like i think everyone thinks like oh i'm just going to park in great businesses uh and i'm protected from inflation and i'm i'm not convinced that that's necessarily the case Oh, I don't think it is because your discount rate's going to have to move and your duration is super long in those assets. You're going to get a nice little uh, wake-up call, for lack of a better term. But here's the thing. There's two aspects to that, right? There's there's what the price is going to do relative to the business. Then there's what the business is going to do over that period of time. Even in if we're not, even though we're not, not even talking yeah. in real terms, just talking in nominal terms. You, I would have thought that you know Microsoft in an inflationary world is fine. They just keep on putting up the price of the products and nobody even notices. It's like it goes from whatever you pay now, $8, I pay $8.75 a month or something. They just say, I guess yeah. what's well, nine fifty this month. Like, right. Well, not to mention if you believe that sort of the Zoom culture has enabled a more distributed workforce, there might be an argument to be made that Microsoft's total labor pool is higher or, or there is more total supply than maybe they uh or what quantity supplied they can sell more they can sell more is that what you say well there's more people to bid the job out to yeah right so so they i think have suffered from uh wage inflation in an outsized way because they're a tech company and tech companies are paying people a lot of money right so if you can somehow outsource some of that and work remotely you might actually have a scenario where their costs could come in down yeah yeah that's right yeah, Whereas I don't know though. I mean, we've had a piece of machinery. You're going to pay more. What's it's what's, made of steel, Jake? What's an example of a business that's not going to need to replace its assets? That's got the high fixed uh, costs. Well, Napier gave the example of uh, there's a Bacardi plant in Cuba that was built when Cuba, like I don't know, 1950s, the heyday, still making Bacardi there, and pretty sure they haven't reinvested much money back in that Bacardi plant in Cuba when there's yeah, there's not a lot of capital flowing into Cuba um, historically. So, I mean, it's it totally depends on the asset and, you know, what's the, the du- durability of the value created by that asset. Uh, like in technical disruption, I mean, uh, we could even go back to, we've talked before about the, the uh, five sacks of flower if you remember um like each level of value that's created by by something um it's not clear to me it really takes a lot of teasing apart of every little moving piece of a business to figure out is this going to be benefited or harmed by inflation complex adaptive complex adaptive system right no idea what the changing those inputs is going to do to the outputs I yeah. thought that um, – sorry, go ahead, Jake. Well, I was going to say another interesting point they had was um, a lot of people have blamed high labor costs on unions historically, like especially in the 70s. Um, however, it might the arrow might go the other direction in that when you are falling behind in your, um, your ability to raise the price of your labor uh, to keep up with the costs of food and room and board – 
that's a, an impetus to then organize with others who are also falling behind and create a union. Hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more union activity pickup uh, if we actually saw increased inflation. Labor, an interesting thought. Labor couldn't be any further behind capital now. Could it? This is about as stretched as it gets. Yeah. yeah well, so a- run that a little bit further, and now. Um, what does that do to these alt record margins uh, when you have interest rate expense per- perhaps tick up? You have labor cost tick up. You have cost of goods sold potentially tick up. You have uh, taxes potentially tick up. All of those things are kind of coming for margins, I would say, potentially. But when would you not have said that over the last six years? Well, these things take long. These are like glacial changes they're not just asking that's a fair question i've said the same thing and i think i think skeletor had a shot at me on twitter about it saying that you know i'm making all these assumptions but it just seems to me that when you have every single one of those things lined up as goldilocks for capital and then you just start like i can see the site tax is probably going to go up interest rates over time probably going to go up labor's probably going up like the inputs are going up it doesn't seem to me that it's that much of a stretch to say, I don't really know how it happens, but probably margins are going to get compressed here and there's any number of ways that it can happen. Yeah, I so I have two thoughts. One, I think it's somewhat interesting that this week on Wealth Track they had somebody from T. Rowe Price and they were talking about the new hedges along short book, right? So historically, maybe it was a 60-40 allocation, but now you almost need a short book to protect you in a downside because all correlations go to one. And I don't know if that same thought happens for inflation, sort of like moving rates up, right? Rates go up, bonds should go down, equities should go down with it. Um, I mean, I think, uh, obviously, assuming all else equal. Um, Bill, do you know anyone interesting running a long short? No, I don't have a, I don't <laughs> have a clue. I have no clue. I don't know anybody that does anything of the sort. The other thing is um, that conversation that I was having, there's a moment where I was like, oh, okay, so if you have inflation, the equity market could take a hit. Um, But if you're actually sending the dollars directly to the people that can spend it, arguably the economy could sort of get going and they could get jobs. I almost think that uh, the left may see that as an outcome and a way to, to, to close the wealth gap. Um, more than maybe I've appreciated in the past. Whether or not that's misguided, I know it's politics, I get it, but it's just sort of a thought that I had as I was having the conversation. $25 loaf of bread does not close the yeah. the wealth gap. Well, I, I had some pushbacks too, so I agree. I agree with what you're saying, but I almost think that may be part of the thought, but I, I may not be mis- I may not understand the conversation as well as I'd like to. I was just looking at gold. It's done 8% since 2004. At least uh, the GLD ticker has. It's kind of wild. Was it depre- particularly depressed in 2004? Is that like a, is that like a local low? Uh, yeah. No, it's just as far back as I can get the okay. data right now. Um, 2011, it's basically flat since 11. Right. Pr- and that's kind of why I'm having the thought. I remember in 11 when like people were clamoring for gold. And the reason I remember it is I was gifted some physical cougarans and I fucking top tick that. Shout out to me. Because <laughs> like these people that I didn't even know were calling me about gold. And I was like, all right, I'll sell you these things. This is crazy. 
Um, I think I put the proceeds in Caterpillar, which maybe wasn't a great idea, but I don't know. It's better than holding gold, <laughs> Peter Schiff. Suck it. <laughs> I'm just playing with you, Peter. I'm glad you listen. Not anymore. Just got a downvote. What? <sighs> yeah, we're always... There's we always time for one. One more? Uh, yeah, I... I uh... Can't see one straight off the top of my head, but I, I'm always. I, I just think that the, I, I think that the, uh, the the argument for inflation is not so much. I mean, it looks like there might be. There are some indications that it's coming, but uh, it's more that we're just not at all positioned for it, right? That if it comes, then there's a there's a violent redistribution of the uh, current natural world order, and and then uh, you know maybe value wins in that. I don't know. Maybe maybe value goes on to suck for another decade, and we all got to learn brand new lessons. I don't. I just don't think that that. I mean, eventually it can't. Eventually the jaws must collapse. I'm just not sure when. Right. That's the hardest part. If anyone figures it out, write us. There's a, there's a lot of speculation in the market right at the moment. There's a lot of little yes. call buying. There's a lot of leverage. There's a lot of. Although I'm told that leverage is coincident is coincidental, so that's not an indicator. But there's a lot of. Um, I mean, we're we're closing on 36 on the Cape. Which is pretty high. That's uh, that's well above twenty nine, and we're sort of closing in on forty four as the all time peak here. Although it got to a hundred in China, got to a hundred in Japan, so sky's the limit, really. There's no reason why I have to stop there. Well, I'll uh, stick some crappy earnings numbers into there if you have any kind of margin collapse and watch your cape explode higher. Well, we've we've got a little bit of that over the last year, and so that started yeah. to permeate, which is probably what's pushed it up a little bit. I don't know. I just I find less than less than I would have guessed, though, if I'm being honest. Like I, I was more concerned about that. I feel like we could probably go back and watch shows from twenty percent off, yeah, and been way off on some of those worries. Yeah, this that's, game's hard. It is. It is. It is <laughs> super tough. All right, folks. That's time. It's been fun chatting. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you all next week. Sing one, two, three, four. Cause, cause, cause.